You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 114 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast. I'm already stumbling through it and I don't know why. <laughs> You're good. Uh, welcome to episode I'm gonna try again. Welcome to episode 114 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club Podcast, where Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew Patron Supporters. Thank you. I did it. Yay. Might be all I accomplished today, but I did the intro properly. Good job. <laughs> Today's guest is a Rampian Crew patron supporter. Do you want to introduce yourself and then tell us how you found Marissa Meyer and her books? Yeah, so my name is Kaya Joy. Um, I read, I started the Lunar Chronicles in March of 2015 when I was in 7th grade, and I have been thoroughly obsessed with them ever since. <laughs> Um, so much so that I convinced my mom to name our dog Thorn, um, and you might hear him in the background, hopefully not, um, (laughs) but he's, he's a cutie, (laughs) but yeah, um, my friend was reading Cinder and she said, Hey, you got to read this book. And I'm not a big reader, but I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. And yeah, I had to wait for winter though, which was weird. I've never had to wait for a book before, but yeah, it was, it was good though. It's it's gut crushing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's so rough waiting for a book. (laughs) Yeah, and it was only a few months. No, it was a year. It was a year for me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Waiting. It's just yeah. It was it was a rough year. (laughs) I thought that Ferris pushed. I thought that Ferris pushed winter back a little more. Is that I don't know. I didn't read Ferris at that point, but. But yeah, I might have. have. So then it it would have been longer than a year. Yeah, maybe. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe longer than a year. But oh, which is so frustrating. But <laughs> we love good content, right? So yes, we do. <laughs> so on the note of Marissa, we got a synopsis for Gilded. Uh, a new one. So I'm going to read that. Awesome. Yes, please. (laughs) Now remember Gilded will come out November of this year and you can already pre-order it. So the synopsis is long ago cursed by the God of lies. A poor Miller's daughter has developed a talent for spinning stories that are fantastical and spellbinding and entirely untrue or so everyone believes. When one of Serelda's outlandish tales draws the attention of the sinister Earl King and his undead hunters, she finds herself swept away into a grim world where ghouls and phantoms prowl the earth and hollow-eyed ravens track her every move. The king orders Serelda to complete the impossible task of spinning straw into gold or be killed for telling falsehoods. 
In her desperation, Cyrilda is unwittingly summons a mysterious boy to her aid. He agrees to help her for a price. Love isn't meant to be part of the bargain. Soon, Cyrilda realizes that there is more than one secret hidden in the castle walls, including an ancient curse that must be broken if she hopes to end the tyranny of the king and his wild hunt forever. That sounds amazing. <sighs> and I, I love Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that sounds so awesome. I cannot wait. Me too. I'm so excited to see what she does with it, especially especially because like we know what Marissa is capable of. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. Ugh, I'm so excited, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I read that I get chills. Yeah. It, it reminds me of I don't know, Heartless. Oh, Heartless. I love Heartless. Yeah. Yeah. It it was it was really good. I don't want to say anything to spoil it, but it was so good. Yeah, everybody has plenty of time because we won't get to it for two years, but they need to go read it. Yeah. So what are you currently reading? So I am religious, so I challenged myself to read the Bible every day for a whole year, and so I'm currently reading that. That is quite the commitment, if I, sh- if I can say so. That is a big old book. <laughs> yeah I'm actually halfway through because we're in June and it's it's sometimes really hard to read it is but it is it's very insightful um I think but it it is definitely a big beast to tackle but but I don't know it's it's fun like I said I'm I'm not a big reader so just doing that in and of itself is kind of a big feat for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, besides that, I am reading a mindfulness book for my ADHD. I have really bad ADHD. So this mindfulness book is just supposed to give me tips and tricks to help me out there. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Yeah. What are What are you reading? So I am reading Beta by M.T. Zimney, which is a new author. And I'm really excited. Okay. I literally just started it, but it's really good so far. So I hope everyone gives it um, gives it a chance. I know new authors, it's like scary to make connections with new authors yeah. that don't have like <laughs> clout yet. But, you know, someday I'm going to be a new author and I hope I get, yeah. I get something. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, I don't know who that is, so we're not answering it. <laughs> yes, my my ringtone is Harry Potter. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> so let's talk about some Fan Art Friday. This is from July 9th. It is by Cosmic Nova Flare. All right. You guys, I have been holding on to these for a while because I couldn't, just in case you'd never read the books before, I couldn't ruin the spoiler that is Channery. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I love the I love the black and white and then you just see like the flames around and the smoke. Like that's so cool. Yeah, and I love that the smoke is like I don't know, encircling Channery. Yeah, yeah. And it's like her it's like her power. Yeah, exactly. It's like a it's like a halo around her, like a glow. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I love that we got two. So we got one image of Channery and Lavana in front of the fire. And then we get another image where Channa is Channery is sort of playing with the fire very like carelessly and fearlessly. Yeah, because I mean that's I mean, well, we'll get there, but that that is what she does. So it's kind of cool to finally get that backstory. Yeah, that's, that's her personality. Yeah, playing with fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Figuratively and literally, you know, really, really awesome. Yeah, in the in the second one, I I don't know if that's a mirror up top or something, but it looks like a grandfather clock in there, or it might be just some kind of circles or something. But can't really tell. Okay, but yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell, but I, I like that it adds a little bit of extra to the to the image it completes that world building yeah yeah totally it's really beautiful last week patreon members voted on section titles and pages 169 to 181 is never enough from the greatest showman pages 181 to 193 is enough for you by olivia rodrigo Ooh, yeah seemed like a theme there guys yeah (laughs) yeah those are those are great songs They are great songs. All right. So getting to the nitty gritty, we are down to the, the second to last episode of Ferris. We're so close. (laughs) And if it, uh, if it wasn't dark before (laughs) it is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These, these chapters are tough. They are right. Yeah. So we finally get the reveal of how Lavana got burned and scarred and disfigured. Yep. Uh, it's when when I went back and reread it, I thought that this chapter was at the beginning. Um, but I guess I forgot that it was like the third to last. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a hint every once in a while. It's like, come here, baby sister. In like a creepy thing. But I mean, this is the first time we're actually getting that full backstory yeah the first time they call to that call forward call back is the first page Mm -hmm. yeah they've been setting us up (laughs) yeah and then we don't get it for another 192 pages yeah which is crazy good suspense on marissa's part right so this story basically what happens i'm gonna give a rundown of what happens and then we'll talk about it because okay. I feel like that'll be easier for this particular situation. Yeah. So Channery and Lavana are hanging out and there's a holographic fire. Because real fire is forbidden on Luna because it will poison their air supply with smoke. They're watching the fire. Channery tosses a little bit of white sand into the fire. And it creates, and nothing happens because it's a fake fire, right? Yeah. So Channery says, look, it's not real. It's just an illusion. Don't be a baby. Just touch it. And she forces Lavana to shove her hand into the fire and realizes that it's not real and feels much better. But she still wants to run away because she's afraid of Channery. So Channery gets a real fire and throws sand into it and it makes big blue sparks 
And Channery gets carried away. She burns a giraffe, an old shoe, game pieces, and even some of Lavana's hair. And then she cuts Lavana's dress and throws it in the fire. And when she does, Channery herself falls in the fire and gets a teeny, teeny, tiny little burn on her neck. Really small. It doesn't even matter. And after this happens, Channery decides to pull Lavana's entire body into the fire as retaliation. And that's what that's how Lavana got her burns. Channery literally th- threw her in the fire. Yeah, which is ugh. I mean, when when Lavana was talking about previously about like burning Celine, she said that she would be merciful and not let the child survive. And that's like now that we know her story, like that's mm-hmm. just I mean, I, I could see why she would see that that's merciful. Um, although we know that, you know, she ended up surviving. But, but she would still remember the physical pain and agony that it would have caused. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess it's just her twisted. Like that's the part that I think is weird. Yeah. Just her twisted justification of it. Yeah. And this is like a slight explanation of why Lavana might be the way that she is. We've, we the reader have been told that if young children are manipulated too much, it causes mental, I don't know, issues. Yeah. And so maybe that's why Lavana is the way that she is, is because she was, she was manipulated so young and then she was traumatized at the same time. Yeah. How old is she? Is she six? Mm-hmm. Do we know how old? how much older Shannery is than Lavana. I mean, she's old enough to use her gift, so she'd have to be like 12 or 13, right? Because don't you have to be 12 or 13 to start using her? Okay, so Channery was 20... Channery was 24 when she died. Okay. And Lavana was like 17 or 18 when she died. So there would have been like a six-year age difference. So Lo- so Channery would have been like 12. Okay, Yeah. But we saw like Master Charleston was only like five and he was he was uh, oh, torturing yeah. Scarlet. Oh, that's he was really that young. I guess I pictured him like an old man. <laughs> yeah, he was like six or seven. Oh, wow. I knew he was a kid, but I just pictured him to be like a. No, he was like six or seven. Yeah, probably. I haven't read that chapter in a long time. It's so hard for me to read it. <laughs> I'm, like, vaguely recalling that it said, like, Charleston was only seven years old, but he still had mastered, like, a good control of the gift or something along those lines. Yeah. Nah. Let me um, grab my copy of Cress yeah. and double check real quick. <laughs> I'm looking through it right now. <laughs> Just so that nobody has to send me 35 emails saying what the answer is. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Page 371 of Cress, it says, the lunar boy couldn't have been more than eight years old. Yes, Scarlet was certain that she would wring his neck like a chicken if she ever got the chance. Yes. So, yeah, he was he was like seven or eight years old. Okay, yeah. So much, so not much older than Lavana. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe it's like, maybe it's in that age range um, that they start developing it. Cause I know Lavana said in here somewhere that she was too young to start using her gift or she hadn't quite developed it yet. So. No, she's still developing the gift. She's still practicing it. Oh. But what they were saying is that you're not supposed to use it on young children oh, because oh, their gotcha. brains can't handle the manipulation. Oh, okay. Let me double check the exact wording that it says. 
No, it was, I think the 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 comment that I'm thinking of is in an earlier chapter. Yeah, maybe. And I'm remembering it on the top left-hand side of a page somewhere. So I'm looking. Ten seconds later. Okay, page 128, the very top paragraph. They were not supposed to manipulate young children, as studies suggested that too much tampering when they were so tiny and impressionable could disrupt the way their brains formed. Okay, yeah. I don't know young how young young children is. Yeah. We know that master charleston was practicing his gift like that's what scarlet was there for so he could practice yeah and we know that lavana is very good with her gift now but when she was younger she did struggle especially with the lack of confidence channery had yeah yeah definitely and um yeah, I guess I, I was connecting those, those two in my head. I wasn't differentiating between the manipulating kids and actually doing the manipulating. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. The lunar gift is so complex. I know, and I feel like we don't get to delve too much into it. But I, I also understand that like, from a scientific point, you don't want to share too much information because then it's really easy for people to poke holes. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how Channery gets Lavana's attention by first convincing her that the fire isn't real and then forcing her to use the real fire. Yeah. I don't think her plan all along was to burn Lavana's entire left-hand side of her body, <laughs> but obviously that's what it led to. Yeah. Why do you think that she was doing this with Lavana? I wrote a note in here. This is something that I say because I babysit a lot, but strict parents raise sneaky kids. And so it just, like, when Lavana's talking about how, oh, Shannery, like, just got more secretive about glamoring or manipulating Lavana, I feel like she's like that with the fire, too. You know, like, she, she wants to try it, but she has Lavana there just in case anything goes wrong. She can just blame it on her little sister, you know? I mean, that's what I would do, and I have a younger sibling. <laughs> I think that's that's an excellent point, and I think that's a, a perfect analogy that strict parents raise sneaky kids yeah because that's exactly what she did she just they just find a way to not get caught yeah because i mean it just says in response she'd only gotten more secretive about it when the nannies would call out shannery for manipulating lavana which means that she would do it often often enough to get scolded which means that yeah that probably definitely didn't help out lavana's brain development which also means that Perhaps for the last six years of her entire life, Lavana has already been going through these traumatizing moments, and this is just the worst one. Yeah, I mean, this is the one that sticks with her for the rest of her life, you know, and it's the most physically impacting one. Not that mental health doesn't impact you as much as physical health, but, you know, it's definitely, I mean, yeah, it's definitely horrible. <laughs> definitely highlights how abusive Shannery really is. Yeah, and it's part of why she hid herself from, from everyone, but from Everett as well for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, totally. And she, yeah, she just just revealed herself to him. Yeah, that was our very disturbing end to the last chapter. That's where we left off last week. Yep. Oof, man. I can't. I, yeah. I am happy for her in the sense that she had found a way to cope with it herself. Um, but it still doesn't change the fact that she's a very, like, I, I don't want to... 
harp too much on her mental health, but that she's a very flawed human being. Um, and this manipulation, early manipulation while she was developing definitely attributes to that. What I think is hard to grasp, and this applies to everyone, not just Lavana, but like people who have mental health can have mental health and still be a bad person. And it's not necessarily because of their mental health. Just like people who who don't have mental health concerns can be a bad person, so can other people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to separate that because you don't want to put the blame on you don't want to put the blame on on her trauma and oh, that's why she's evil. Yeah. But it probably did have a pretty big impact on her thought process. Um and it certainly made her secretive as well, secretive about her her actual appearance. Yeah. Yeah, and her, like, and her love. Like, she doesn't, she has a really hard time, like, at least I know, like, in Crest, she never, I mean, Everett is never mentioned, I don't think, until, unless, unless Winter mentions her in Crest, but I don't think she does. But, like, she never mentions, like, that side of her because, you know, she she may consider that, like, vulnerability, I guess. And she doesn't want to get vulnerable like she was with Everett, maybe. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, I guess, about it, but hopefully it makes sense. No, I think I think there's something to that, because also in Kres, she talks about wearing her true wedding band and that she never takes it off, but she does hide it behind the glamour. Yeah. Yeah. She probably, like, hides it from everyone. I mean... I guess she would also hide it from Sybil, too. I don't know. I just had the thought that Sybil would probably know that she still had it on her finger just because Sybil and her are so close. Um, but I guess her glamour would hide it from everyone regardless. Yeah, her glamour would hide it from everyone regardless. But maybe Sybil knows her on an emotional level and can make assumptions. Yeah. So that's that's basically all that happens in this in this chapter is that, that we, if we finally get the big reveal of how she became disfigured yeah i did have a question that shannery got the matches from the altar in the great hall and i just wondered like what kind of like rituals would they yeah. do to get like to have the need for fire because it's a very dangerous thing and it's forbidden so what some what's something that would be so significant that they would use fire because i mean i don't think they used fire for their coronations I don't know. I, I just well, we we saw them use fire for the coronation. Oh, we did. We we saw them use fire for Channery's coronation and Channery's funeral and their parents' funeral. So it seems to be just those like big major events. Because I know that I don't think they have any like religious like. I don't know. They don't have a religion up there. Oh, I don't think. So I was just curious. They don't, but that doesn't mean that they don't have some type of ritual because they don't have a religion, but they still practice three days of mourning. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and just because they don't have a a typical religion doesn't mean that they don't like congregate, have meetings, have rituals of some kind. Cause we saw like during Channery's coronation, she like drank the blood of her people. (laughs) I mean, that's a ritual, right? So they probably have some like, it's an unusual ritual, but they, they probably have something that they would use that for, and it's just not commonly used. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, like, 
I don't know, probably when, like, Cypress Blackburn or whoever, I don't know if he was a first settler, but whenever they first settled, maybe they had some kind of things, like, but once they developed, like, the monarchy or the, yeah, the monarchy, then they realized, like, okay, like, these are, this is what we're going to do, you know, and it's like a tradition for them, but, which is probably how it is, but, or it is how it is, but you, you know what I mean? So what was your chapter title for this one? Uh, mine is Killer by The Ready Set. Um, it's just a song about, like, I don't know, just the fact that it said killer just really stuck out to me. But, yeah, it's just some lyrics are, I'm no good for you, this heart ain't built for two, so run away, run away, because I'm no, I'm no, I'm no good for you. It just reminds me, like, Shannery has absolutely no love for Lavana, like, whatsoever. And that's just, that that, that just kind of stuck up to me. Um, but I think this is actually like a love song, but that's, yeah, that's not how I took it for this chapter, but yeah, anyway. So I chose Gasoline by Halsey. Yeah. Awesome song. Which the name alone, I mean, (laughs) but I also think the lyrics work. Yeah. Or not all of the lyrics, but some of them. Are you insane like me? Been in pain like me? Um, do you tear yourself apart to entertain like me? Do the people whisper about you? Yeah. And there was all those rumors are always floating around about Lavana. Say you shouldn't waste your pretty face. Well, her pretty face is gone. <laughs> Low on self-esteem. I, there's just so much of this song. And this song is kind of creepy when you listen to it. Like yeah. the vibe it has, it, it almost has like a like a creepy undertone in a good way. So I feel like this would have been a good song for, for the scene to have where it's actually happening. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a film major. And so when I like read books and stuff, I immediately start thinking about like the shots and you know, what, what lighting would we use and what would the background music be? So like songs like this would definitely be the music that you like play in the background while she's like burning, you know? Yeah, and sometimes when I'm picturing, like, sometimes when I'm trying to come up with a song title, I'll come up with something based on, like, the lyrics that, like, speak to me about what happened. But sometimes it's just, like, I think this song works in the background for this scene. Yeah, yeah, totally. It it definitely does. So what was your chapter quote for this one? Uh, my chapter quote, let me turn to it. Um, but Shannery's expression was changing again. The fury was contorting into something cruel and sadistic, hungry and curious. Come here, baby sister, she whispered, and despite the terror twisting inside Lavana's stomach, her feet obeyed. I want to show you something. But I just I just love the use of hungry describing Shannery. Like it just reminds me of when they were talking about the wolves when they came out of the chambers or whatever. Like they were so hungry. I just thought that it was like, we finally got to that point where Shannon was actually saying those words in the context of the story and not just a background, like, like a callback to it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a cool, cool quote. Well, we've seen throughout the book that those words kind of haunt Lavana. Yeah. And in her deepest, darkest moments, they come back to her. So it, it makes sense that in this moment, she remembers the whole thing so vividly. Yeah, especially before she's, like, what she does and stuff like that. Like, it's a good, 
Yeah. At first, I didn't think it made sense to put this chapter here, but it really does once you, like, keep going, I guess. Well, it does because it's right after she reveals her body and her disfigurement to Everett. Yeah. So it makes sense to, like, describe the disfigurement and then and then the next chapter we get to figure out how that happened. And then after that, um, we understand why she has the reaction that she does. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So my quote was, being tricked into believing things that weren't real was often the most dangerous thing of all. How true is that? I know. I that that was going to be my quote, but I saw that you used it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even out of context, I feel like that is a very true statement. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just it's funny that like 6-year-old Lavana is saying this because of who she turns out to be, you know, cuz we know her as like the predator, you know, and she does like she tricks people into believing yes. things that weren't real <laughs> all the time. And it's like, it's funny to look back and see like, wow, Lavana, you really think that way? Maybe your 30-something-year-old self needs to take a little trip back or something. Um, although she probably has this recurring nightmare. Well, we as people, we change so frequently. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm even a different person than I was when I started the podcast. Because as humans, we just change and grow so much. So... Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. interesting that Lavana forgot about those, like, those, maybe she didn't forget about them. Maybe she just doesn't care in the context of doing it to others. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, she, like, even when she's 15, she doesn't, or, yeah, isn't she, yeah, she's 15 or something when she, like, goes after Everett. Like, she just has no, I think she lost her empathy and her care for other people, which is, is kind of sad. And you see that with the way that she rules her people. Like she really, she may care like about like the long term and like the collective, but she really doesn't care about them like individually or, you know, like she doesn't really, she doesn't really think about them in the way that like a good supportive queen would, you know, like the way that Kai thinks about his people. She only thinks about them in terms of do they love her. Yeah, exactly. It's all about it's all about her and her, like, you know, she wants people to love her because that's what she didn't have growing up. And that's what she wanted Everett to do, but he, he never did. Right. And she finally realized that. Um, but, I mean, that doesn't change that she still loved him, but so sad. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. So last week we left off with Lavana and Everett had this big fight where she realized that their marriage was a lie, and... She revealed her true form to him, and he was shocked and taken aback, and she ran away crying. So 
Now we pick up right at that same spot. Lavana is crying so bad. She feels like she's going to hyperventilate. And even though she knows Everett can hear her, he is not coming after her to comfort her. He's not there at all. Yeah, and I feel like she's like, everything she is doing, I mean, I know that she's probably crying like genuinely, but like kind of the overdramatic crying, I felt like she was doing just to get his attention so that he would run back and say, no, Lavana, I loved you too. You know, it's kind of her, her wishful thinking kind of part of her brain. But I do definitely think she's actually crying, but more to get his attention. I think, I think this is all, I think this is all genuine. Yeah. And the only part of it that she's doing to try and get his attention is remaining within earshot. Yeah. Yeah. Because she definitely is, you know, she's. But I do think the panic attack, the crying, the overwhelming, the hyperventilating, I feel like that's all real. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So she finally pulls herself together after she realizes that he's not coming. And she pulls these drapes over her head and feels like a. she leaves her room and starts wandering the halls like a ghost. That kind of reminds me of the beginning when she was the ghost girl and she was all pale and invisible and trying to be like a wallflower. This is our first instance we as the reader see of her donning the veil. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, chills. And she, does she not, not have her glamour? No, it says in the chapter that she didn't want to deal with her glamour, so she used the drapes. Yeah, yeah. So she's walking down the hall, and it's it's way too late at night. There's nobody around, but she's still got her two guards following her, and she finds herself at Channery's room. The queen's room. Yeah. And originally, she didn't want the queen's room. She wanted to be near Everett and Winter, her her little family, and she wanted to be a queen that didn't need the luxuries of a queenly suite. But now she's thinking she might be the only one who didn't know her marriage and her family were a lie. Yeah. Because, I mean, I feel like everyone, you know, whenever it said, like, oh, people are, like, whispering about us, like, at the like the beginning before they got married. Like, you know. Yeah, it took her a long time because, I mean, she was blinded by her, you know, by her obsession of him that she didn't really see that it really wasn't really wasn't real from his point you know but we made usaa insurance for veterans like james when he found out how much usaa was helping members save he said it's time to switch we'll help you find the right coverage at the right price usaa what you're made of we're made for restrictions apply that's kind of sad (laughs) just a little bit yeah i mean Lavana's whole life is kind of sad. Yeah, it really is. And like, it's, it's, it, it hurts to feel bad for her. But at the same time, especially with the chapter we just read, now that we know what's going up with her, it's like, ugh. but it still doesn't change the fact that she does a lot of horrible things that are mostly unjustified. But still, there's just a little, right, little sadness for her. I think it's more that we we understand her, but she's yeah. still evil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she goes into Channery's room, and it's the same. 
It's exactly as Channery left it. You can even smell her perfume. It's like this weird little museum to dead Channery. Yeah. And Lavana is surprised to see a little bassinet by the bed, realizing that Celine slept in here with Channery. Yeah, which I reminds me of when earlier, and you might already have this written down, but when um, Lavana was surprised that Shannery was bottle feeding Celine, like way earlier when she was about to talk about, you know, Emperor Reichen, or is that how you pronounce his name? Um, and Prince Kai. But Lavana was just surprised that um, that Shannery was so motherly because of how like crazy, not crazy, but mm-hmm. how like dark she really is. But. But not with Celine. With Celine, she was she was gentle and affectionate, and like you said, motherly. Yeah, which is extremely foreign to Lavana. I can't even imagine, because <laughs> it doesn't seem like their parents really cared. Right. Even now, she thinks like she had always assumed that Celine had slept with like a wet nurse or a nanny. She didn't think she actually slept in here with Channery. Yeah. Do you think if Lavana? had a child like her own like hers and Everett's child do you think she would let her little baby sleep in her room or do you think she would let a nurse deal with her I think it would be a nurse or a nanny I think Channery embraced motherhood in a way that no one expected but I don't think that that would happen to Lavana. yeah yeah she I'd, I'd honestly be kind of scared <laughs> to have a little you know baby with her but i mean i guess she would have a legitimate reason to keep the baby alive because you know she would need an heir but yeah right but it would would it just it would probably still be like winter like she would want to be a good mom but she doesn't know how and then she'd be like well how come i'm not connecting to this baby that i never see because the baby's always with the nanny (laughs) yeah exactly Like, from the very beginning, she's like, this is basically my daughter. I'm going to be her mom, and I'm going to be a better mom than Solstice ever was. But she immediately left the care and upbringing to the nannies. Yeah. Because that's what she thought was how you raised your children. Yeah, because their their parents didn't do much, you know, raising. You know, it says in, I don't know. It it does say later in this chapter, like, her parents were annoyed by when her mother would be wasn't annoyed with the presence of her own offspring. Like, there's nothing, you know, super motherly about that, which I think we knew that already because of how they reacted to their funeral or to their deaths, I should say. Well, both, really. Yeah. Yeah, all Lavana thought was that, oh, that'd be a pretty color (laughs) on my lips. Right, and all Channery thought was, I'm going to miss their parties. Yeah, (laughs) although she came up with some pretty awesome parties on her own. (laughs) Right? Lavana tries to feel remorse or horror or guilt, but all she feels is her own broken heart. She can't think about anything else. She can't feel anything else. She goes to the mirror so she can see what Everett saw. And she hasn't looked in a mirror at all since she was six years old. Not since Channery had glamoured the entire left-hand side of her body. Yeah. So that's where, that's where the mention of the six years old was. Yeah. That description of the... I'm going to have to find my book cover. But that description of the the mirror... Are, wait, are we there yet? 
sorry. I might be jumping ahead of myself. <laughs> no, we're there. Okay. The, no, we're the, at that part. We're at the okay. part where she talks about the mirror. Yeah, the, the I mean, the mirror is the same one that's on the cover of Fairest. So you can really take a good look mm-hmm. at that. And she's not wearing a crown in this scene, is she? So I know she has a thorn crown on the cover, some kind of spindly. No, at this moment, she's just walking the halls with her drape. She didn't grab a crown. Yeah. So she thinks about her mom. She remembers her mom sitting at this mirror. And even though her mom was naturally pretty, pretty enough that she could be in a mirror without her glamour, her glamour was striking and regal. And it always gave Lavana nightmares knowing that everyone had two different faces. There, Marissa Meyer has a lot of these lines that just like, oh, they just give you chills. And that, like that one with the two faces they one do. is just, it's so good. I agree. And Lavana, when she's sitting here, again, this whole thing is just amazing. She, she absolutely hates her reflection. Yeah. And she thinks that every glamour is as fake as hers, but I mean, every single glamour is as fake as hers, but she's the only one who's terrified of mirrors. Yeah, she's the only one who relies on it as heavily as she does, you know, because I mean, the lunar court, they have to be naturally mm-hmm. beautiful. I mean, you know, what Jason said like, oh, I was picked because of my pretty face, you know, like it's a very important thing for their, you know, their guards to be attractive. Even if they weren't, they wouldn't have the disfigurement that she's so ashamed of. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I'm not saying she should be ashamed of it. I'm just saying, like, her character is obviously ashamed of it. No, yeah. Yeah, definitely. She is, you know, she tries to hide it on, you know, for reason. So, Lavana's looking in the mirror, and in the mirror she sees her reflection as the girl with the drape. The girl in this veil. And she thinks that behind her veil, she looks like a bride, a second era bride. And that a a veil like that could hide anything. And it could make you think that someone was filled with pure joy and happiness. And right in that moment, she decides to pull the veil down and take a look at her own reflection. And it's... It's a tough, it's a really a tough description. Um, I do like the parallel with the, I mean, it talks about her left side. Um, I do like that parallel with Cinder, that it was Cinder's left side. And, you know, I, I, I like that kind of connection. Yeah, I love that parallel. Yeah. And that was unintentional. So, well, not by the writer, but unintentional by Lavana. So yeah, I love that yeah. parallel. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's little things like that that just adds so much to the stories. So I love about Marissa's writing. I agree. Sorry, I'm like hyper fangirling over here. but No, that's the whole point of the podcast, right? This is like yeah. the ultimate fangirl is to have a podcast about it. <laughs> yep, totally. She flinches when she sees her own reflection. It's worse than she remembers. Ugh. Her left eye was permanently sealed shut. The scarred tissue on that side of her face was formed of ridges and grooves. Half of her face was paralyzed from the incident, and great chunks of hair would never grow back. The scars continued down her neck and shoulder, half of her chest and upper ribs, all the way down to her hand. Yeah. And this was where we got that beautiful art last week from Doodling Asparagus, where we got to see 
what was beneath the glamour. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was incredible. The only time I've ever seen like underneath the glamour, there's a Funko pop character of Levana. I don't know if it's real, but um, I've seen it on the internet somewhere, but it was like Levana and had like her eye sealed shut and it didn't have all the scars down her neck and down her arm, but it did have her eye and like the face scarring and tissues and stuff. Um, so yeah, seeing that fan art was, was really cool. It is. And, and I love the, I love that we get even more backstory of why she still looks like this, because you hear that and you hear that she's six and your immediate thought is they could have done something about that. Yeah. Um, but they explain, she, she explains that like at the time the doctors couldn't do it cause she was still growing. But when she's older, she could have gotten skin grafting, hair transplant surgeries, even a new eye. But yeah. there would always be scars, and the idea of a transplant absolutely disgusted Lavana. Yeah. And what's what's funny is when you go through these, like the skin grafting, the modified bone structure, the new working eyes, like these are all things that that these are all things that Logan Tanner did for Cinder, although she was in the um in the hyper animation tank or whatever it's called. Suspended animation tank. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting parallel that that Lavana and Cinder have. And what's interesting is that it's Lavana's fault that they have that parallel because Lavana is the one who, who gave her the these scars that led to her cyborg appendages. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. At the time, she said she was like, you know, it's just easier if I develop my glamour. But... Now people, she's done the glamour thing for so long that now people forgot that she used to have all these scars and she doesn't want to risk the reveal of that coming out if she has all these surgeries. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like she, like if she really, really wanted to, she would find a way to be like, oh, I'm not a princess or I'm not a queen. You know, I'm just a lovely girl although she probably wouldn't get the funding to get all those operations yeah i guess that wouldn't really work never mind she could find a way to keep them quiet about it though oh yeah definitely. she killed her niece it's not below her to eliminate people that are <laughs> a threat so yeah. i'm not saying she should but she could easily hire an entire team let them do their work and then kill them before they can start any rumors oh yeah definitely and Sybil, Sybil would help with that. <laughs> so I'm not saying she should do that, but obviously that's something she could do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She yeah. she has the power and the, the fear factor to be able to do something like that. Right. But she doesn't want to deal with it. So she she decided that her glamour is what's real. She puts the veil back on and she destroys this mirror. Yeah, like, destroy with, like, all caps, like. It reminded me of the mirror Tangled. It's, you know, kind of a small spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen Tangled, but you guys did a bonus episode on it, so I'm assuming people know about it. Just when Mother Gotha runs into the mirror, it says somewhere, like, um, uh, what, where is it? She just said that a hundred veiled strangers looking back or looked back at her. Just reminds me when Mother Gothel is looking at her old, ugly self 
in the a thousand like reflections and the mm-hmm. shattered pieces. That's exactly where my mind went. Absolutely. That's a perfect, perfect comparison. And the yeah. and she even has like the hood and covers her face when she tries when she sees her <laughs> reflection. Yeah. Just like Lavana and her veil. Yeah. Lavana just doesn't fall out of a tower. She Yeah. You know, she Right. Yeah. <laughs> she she demands that all the mirrors are destroyed in the entire city and she wants special glass that doesn't reflect at all. Yeah, and I love when I love when the guard says, is that possible, my queen? And she's like, well, it better be. You know, I feel like that's you know, jumping a little farther down the page, but I just love that so much. I was like, no, that's literally the exact, that's literally the exact next thing she says. Yeah. <laughs> she says that she wants all these, all these, and they say, uh, is that even possible? And she says, if it is not, then we will all live in a palace without any glass at all. Yeah, oh, I just, man, she just really, like, it is that shame that she feels. She would rather, you know, live in this place with that, like, nobody could possibly see through her glamour than, you know, get these modifications. Which, I mean, at least, you know, she's come to some kind of peace right. with it. But still, it's kind of, yeah, I do know that. I do think it's interesting that she like she knows that she's kind of talking like a mad woman at this point because um, I mean she she says that but yeah and then it says she didn't care so it's definitely definitely Lavana for you right so she we transition here and it turns out you can make this kind of glass yeah <laughs> she has replaced Channery's mirror with a video screen so that she can keep an eye on the outer sectors and talk with the commonwealth and watch news feeds because a good queen is well informed that makes sense right that definitely is re- reflects on what Lavana, um like what they do with Cress. you know a very well informed queen is a good queen you know because that's that's what she does with Cress, and that's how they utilized Cress to keep her as informed as possible yeah yeah do we know the timeline like is cress even a thing yet i mean i'm sure she's well she she had to have been born by now because they talk about um darnell's shell child like a long time ago but i just wonder how old she is at this point if she even is in the satellite yet but well we know that we know that Winter was born like three weeks before Lavana and Everett got married. And Everett just said they'd been together for 10 years. So Winter would be 10. Winter is three years older than Cel- Celine. And Celine is like six months older than Cress. So Celine at this point would be about six or seven, which would make Cress also six or seven. And she goes to the satellite at nine. So she's not at the satellite yet, but it might be the part where uh, Sybil is starting to realize her potential. Yeah, I was just, I was, yeah. It's it's really fun to figure out the timeline with all of this Um, because it really is a puzzle. It is, but it's also exhausting because sometimes my math is horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Sometimes I'm like, wait, that's not how numbers work. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah, I was trying to do a bunch of math for this. I was like, how old is Lavana? I'm pretty sure I did my math right. And Lavana is 26, I think, is what I decided when she 
Yeah. She got married when they were 16, and, and in the last chapter, Everett said they'd been married for 10 years. So she's she would be 26 right now. Yeah, which... Yeah. She's young. <laughs> young enough to have a lot of potential in her in her reign which is good for her <laughs> she certainly sees it that way and she has even more potential because the commonwealth empress has died of letamosis <laughs> yep not by murder or assassination letamosis which means <laughs> it's fate and once again we have lavana obsessing about the concept of something meant to be yeah. Yeah, it's funny how much she, like, you know, how much she fixates on fate. And, like, when when um, Solstice died, it was all she could think about was, oh, it's fate for us to be together, Everett. But, and now she's still thinking about fate. Like, it was fate for her to kill Celine. It was, you know, fate for her that Shannery died. That's something that's very important to her. Um. And now it's fate that, you know, the Empress has died of the disease that she developed. It's it's kind of cool. Kind of pretty cool storytelling. Yeah. So a technician comes in and reminds her that the glamour will not work on the news feeds. So she'll have to cover her face. And she already commissioned a, a veil for this. Yeah. Her veil. Her veil. The iconic Lavana veil. Yep. Do you think she used this mirror net screen thing to contact Kai after his dad died? And I mean, I guess I don't see why she wouldn't. Yep. But, yeah. I think this is the one she uses for everything. Yeah, probably. I don't really think there's much of an expiration date on electronics then yeah. as much as there is now. But... Well, I mean, and it can be updated and get new ones all the time. We yeah, get true. new TVs all the time, but we still call them TVs, right? So yeah, she, yeah, she could true. easily get new ones and updates all the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She has the gloves, too, which is another Cinder parallel, because Cinder would use her gloves to, you know, hide her hand. And Lamar is using her gloves to hide her, her scars and stuff. So I just thought that was another cool... Another cool parallel. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot over this book and how yeah. it's um how it's connecting the two of them. Yeah, it's yeah. It's really it's really cool how their stories connect. I mean it's cool how all of the character stories connects, but you know, this especially, there's such a huge parallel, especially since Lavana repeated her trauma onto Cinder, you know, with like burning her and stuff. Um, although she didn't manipulate Cinder, but you know, still mm -hmm. Yeah. She does later. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. So it's been over a month since her fight with Everett, and she has barely slept or ate. All she's done is been a badass queen. She's gone over trade agreements. She's manufacturing more guards in all the outer sectors. She's increasing the productivity as much as she can, even, even to the point where she's threatening families so that she can get more guards. And... <laughs> making public examples of anyone who breaks the law or doesn't follow curfew because she, she needs to have that control. She needs guards. So people saying they don't want to be guards too bad. That's not an option. Yeah. People who don't want to follow the law and, and stay with the curfew that she's enforcing too bad. That's not an option. 
this is how she's controlling and making Lunar Luna better as far as she's concerned. Yeah, and we definitely, you know, hear firsthand examples of that with with Jason and I mean and even Everett, you know, he didn't have a choice to say no to Mary Lavana. And also that um the shopkeeper in Frafo when she said like my son died mm-hmm. so he wouldn't become a guard and then I can't remember her husband was killed, I think. Um I can't remember exactly who was killed, but Yeah, her husband was killed. Yeah. So that's why she escaped. And a lot of those families in Farafa, they had to experience that, which is horrible. I mean, she rules with fear, but she's proud of it, you know. Although she doesn't think of it as fear. She thinks of it as like, you know, I'm doing what's best. But, I mean, it is fear. It's control. It is fear. So despite all of the work that Lavana is doing, Luna is running out of resources, just like her advisors said that they would. Yeah. Only regolith seem to be an endless supply, but their water and agriculture, their forest industry and metal recycling plants were all dependent on the space within the atmosphere and gravity controlled domes and the materials that had been brought up from Earth so many luxuries ago. More luxuries, more diverse crops, more military weaponry and training grounds and shipbuilding all equaled fewer resources. This is what her advisors were saying, that she was able to increase productivity, which is great, but by increasing productivity, now that just means that they're running out of resources faster and faster. Yeah, exactly. And that's why she, you know, she says in the next, I mean, she sees that the emperor is like, people of the Commonwealth are crying. And then she immediately thinks like, oh, this is mine. Because, <laughs> you know, that's that's the connection she makes in her brain. And, you know, Earth is that is that solution for her. Um, which I guess sort of makes sense in a way. You know, you would need to um, get those resources back from Earth like they did when they first had, like, the lunar colonies and stuff. So it does make sense. But it's just the way that she wants it is just a little intense. <laughs> Because in her mind, Luna is the more advanced society, the more advanced species. They're stronger, they're smarter, they're more powerful. Yeah. So for some reason, though, instead of trying to come up with a trade agreement with Earth, with a with an alliance of some kind, her immediate thought is, well, there's too many Earthens to brainwash, so I can't do that. Letimosis is taking too long. My wolf soldiers aren't ready. I'm going to have to, we need a marriage alliance. That's the strongest alliance we can have. Uh, And now that, you know, she's kind of laughing at her fate that just happened, that the Empress is, you know, dead um, because of something that she designed that was literally supposed to weaken Earth. So now she has the opportunity to have a marriage alliance. Because her first thought is winter. Because she's currently, she is married. She's married to Everett. Oh, that's right. Oopsie. (laughs) But Winter isn't of royal blood. So if they did have a marriage alliance, it would be entirely superficial and it wouldn't carry any weight, political or otherwise. So there has to be a queen that marries because you need to have that royal bloodline for an heir. Yeah. So she has to do it. For Luna... For the good of Luna and all of her people, she has to be the one to do it. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's, I, the last line for all of Earth 
Because, you know, she the way that she rules her people on Luna is, you know, the same way that she's going to rule them on Earth, except she's going to treat them even worse than she treats, you know, treats the Lunars because she just thinks of, you know, she just thinks of Earthens as, you know, like apes compared to the Lunars. And it's, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. She underestimates them too much. Granted, she could just control them with the bat of an eyelash, but still... You know, I mean, I mean, think of Scarlet and how powerful she was in her book, and she's just earthen. You know what I mean? Like they, they really underestimated her in a lot of the a lot of the earthens. But. And Kai and Thorn, for that yeah. matter. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Kai really sassy. Kai really holds his own. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Please remember that Prince Kai Fan Pod is a free podcast and always will be. If you'd like to show your support for the show, head over to patreon.com slash princekaifanpod. Patreon allows you to get extra perks and behind-the-scenes bonuses for only $1 a month. If you can't join Patreon but would still like to show your support because you just love the show so much, head over to coffee.com slash princekaifanpod. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash princekaifanpod and leave a one-time only tip. Your support will help me bring you more TLC and Marissa Meyer content that you know and love. Now, let's get back to the episode. So what was your song title for this one? So my song title was Devils Don't Fly by Natalia Kills. Um, let me see. Um, what's a girl to do when she's not strong? When everyone that holds my hand gets cut from all the thorns. Like, it's just, it's just a really, like, intense song about... Devils don't fly, so don't expect me not to fall. Like, don't expect me to fly because I'm not an angel. You know, I'm a devil. You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of the premise of the song. And I feel like that just really fits with Lavana because, you know, she knows, like, um, yeah, I don't know. She has, like, her, she has her own issues and she really, like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm kind of rambling at this point, but. It is a really good song. I feel like it fits with her pretty well. I don't have any super specific examples, but yeah. Right. What was your song? Oh my gosh, I chose so many. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I had three, and since people get to vote, I decided I'd choose all three. Uh, (laughs) So the first one is, (laughs) is Mad Woman by Taylor Swift. Lavana is beyond a mad woman. Um, yeah. But some of the lyrics that I love most. <laughs> Does a scorpion sting when fighting back? They strike to kill and you know I will. Duh, that's Lavana. All she wants to do is murder, murder, murder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's nothing like a mad woman. What a shame she went mad. No one likes a mad woman. You made her like that. Yeah. Oof. So good. I know. I know you love Taylor Swift, but a lot of these songs do really fit with these with these chapters. I know. I get so many. <laughs> I think it's like fifty fifty because I get a lot of people that are like, "We should do a Taylor song for every chapter," and then I get other people that are like, "Can we like do no more Taylor songs ever?" And I'm like, "No, sorry. Yeah. It's my podcast. I have to include Taylor." <laughs> Well, and it's not my fault that she's written so many songs. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. And so many of them fit with, like, this story and everything. Like, I know I know, Wildest Dreams has always been my go-to fairest song, but I felt like it didn't really fit these chapters. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, that one is always, I, I heard that song in middle school and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like Lavana. And yeah. Because she wants, because she wants Everett so much. Yeah, but it just didn't really fit this chapter. I was, I was bummed. I wanted to impress you with a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. So my next song is Look What You've Done by Jet, uh, which is a was a band that was popular when I was a teenager. So I don't know if anybody's heard of them. But again, lyrically, it works really well. Um, Take my photo off the wall if it just won't sing to you. Ooh. And Lavana's ripping away the mirror because she can't stand her reflection. Look what you've done. You've made a fool of everyone. She's making a fool of herself. She's making a fool of her marriage. She's made a fool of Luna by limiting their resources and overproduction. So I just feel like Lavana is kind of dealing with the aftermath of all the things that she's done. Yeah, definitely. That's also a really good song. You even have a third one? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I even have a third one, and it's also Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I did something bad by Taylor Swift. I love this song. And from the very first time I heard it, I was like, this is Lavana's whole personality. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can feel the flames on my skin, crimson red paint on my lips. If a man talks, then I owe him nothing. Oh, this whole the whole country talked about her. Yeah. Her whole childhood. And she was like, watch me rise from these ashes like a damn phoenix. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I just felt like this worked because Channery Channery did something bad and felt real good about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Lavana did a lot of bad things to get to the position of power that she's in right now. And she said herself in these chapters, she doesn't feel guilt. She doesn't feel horror. She doesn't feel remorse. Yeah. Which I feel like that's even like, (laughs) that's kind of, it's even worse, you know, than doing the deed is if you don't feel bad after you did it. You know what I mean? I mean, it depends on if you're doing it purposefully. Or not, but just like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So Patreon members will get to vote on those chapter titles. And remember, you can join Patreon now for only $1 a month. Next week is our last episode of Theris. Can you believe that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to share a bonus episode of my husband and I discussing Wally, one of his favorite Disney movies. And then we are moving on to winter. Why Wally, you may ask? Well, because (laughs) Marissa is really busy right now and she doesn't have the time to do a Ferris episode with us. Um, But she did promise to come back when we finish winter. So she will be back. Uh, And so I put a poll up on the Instagram and I said, these are the bonus episodes I have for you guys from Patreon. Which one do you want? And Wally got 92%. So... Wally it is. And I don't know if that's because people love Wally or they're just really curious about my husband, but that's what they get. I think it's a mix of both. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So this week, there weren't any Easter eggs. The bonus word hair appeared eight times. The bonus word glove appeared once. Scars was three times. And mirrors or the concept of reflections was 13 times. The unlucky number, if you believe in that. 
Well, it's Taylor Swift's lucky number, so let, we'll go with that since I'm obsessed with her, right? True, true. <laughs> Kaya, did you want to share any of your social media? Um, yeah, totally. Um, I have an Instagram, um, and it's Kaya Papaya907. Um, it is on private, but I hmm. follow everybody back and let people follow me. It's not really on private. It's just to keep the the weirdos away, but... But yeah, I love talking. <laughs> I love talking about Lunar Chronicles and <laughs> and Renegades and all things Marissa Meyer. And I'd love more people to talk to about this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I love most about the Discord chat is that it's just like always random topics. This is more a Patreon one, so it's like a lot of Lunar well, Chronicles, yeah. but it's also, there's like a Heartless channel, a Renegade channel, like a bunch of stuff, so mm-hmm. yeah, we talk about everything because we can. <laughs> Another perk of being a Patreon. So if you want to be a part of that Discord chat or have a chance to be on an episode with me or a bunch of other really cool perks... <laughs> <laughs> You can join Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And remember, the first month is free. Like I said, next time we're going to cover pages 214 to 220. And that is the end of the book. Yippee. And we all heave a big sigh of relief when it's finally over. (laughs) Yep, definitely. (laughs) Don't forget to follow, rate, review, and subscribe. Keep reading, keep listening. And until next time, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. Ah, I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) The passages read for you today are from Fairest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Ramsey and Crew Patreon member Kaya Joy. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening.